He's like, son, you need to play football. You're a big kid. He's like, do you want to go to Round Rock High School for the next four years and just walk the halls? Or do you want to be a part of something? And that hit home with me because I had nobody. Hi, everybody. This is Mark Cadell, and you're listening to Little Big Voices from Austin, Texas. Today, my guest is James Elizondo, a former Division I NCAA football player who shares his personal meaning of life stories of growing up inside the helmet. James will be with us for several episodes, sharing his experiences of playing football, suffering from body dysmorphia, being a stay-at-home dad, and also a hunter who avoids eating most meat. Oh yeah, and lucky for me, James is also my neighbor and friend. This is part one of a multi-part series where James tells it like it is. So James, I'd like to give a short description of you from my perspective. Okay. James is weird in the fact that he is such a guy's guy. Yeah, I'm envious of that, James, because when I hang out with you and you're the friends, they're always talking about guy-guy stuff. And I'm always feeling a little bit like, I don't know how you make a knife or skin a deer or uh, how is sausage made? or power tools or you know, all that stuff. I just always feel like I'm listening, I'm learning, but I just have nothing to contribute. And so that's one reason that you are, when I say weird, kind of a real guy's guy, but really educated, thoughtful, um, I think kind of poetic and artful, because I've seen some of your work that I would consider artful. So there's a lot of topics I wanted to talk to you about, and one of them is football. You're one of the few people in America that played football at a Division I level in the NCAA. And you, you downplay that. You know, you never bring it up. You downplay it. But I think it's worth talking about. So, first of all, I thought maybe you could share how it started for you. I'd say before I was a sophomore in high school, I was never comfortable with myself physically. I was always the big kid, the overweight kid. I remember playing soccer and t-ball, and I think I had fun playing soccer, but I don't remember why I stopped. Baseball, I remember quitting specifically because I just didn't like it, and the coach was mean, and I I wasn't tough enough, I guess you could say, to stick out something like that. Um, But I had no desire to play football. Then in the sixth or seventh grade, my parents signed me up to play football. And we had just moved from Texas to Indiana. My dad got a job in Indiana, so we moved there. So we're in a small town called Terre Haute, Indiana, um, the new kid. And one day my mom just said, we signed you up to play football. You have practice tomorrow. And I was like so upset and distraught and anxious and nervous and all of that. I mean, it was like a nightmare for me, like showed up the first day. And uh, I remember just getting the hell beat out of me. 
Mm. Like they, they had this one drill where you just had a circle and you put one person in the middle. I believe it's called the Oklahoma drill. And the coach calls your number and that person just runs in and tries to hit the guy in the middle as hard as they can. And your job in the middle is to have your feet moving and to spin and find that person and hit them back before they just lay you out. And then I just remember going home that day and my, I was like bruised from my shoulder <laughs> to my hip, like black and blue. And the kids that were bigger than me were just loving teeing off on me. So you that didn't was, know any of them. I didn't know any of them. I was scared of most of them. I mean, half of them were black kids. And uh, growing up in Temple, Texas, where I had lived before, I don't think I knew any black people. So maybe I was intimidated by that. And the head coach was black and he was a former football player, he said, and played in the NFL. Like he was like a local cool guy. I remember he had a gym and he took us there to lift weights. And I was like, I had no idea how to lift weights. But again, I'm sixth or seventh grade. I'm just a little kid. But anyway, I ended up quitting that, turning into my pads. I'd had enough of getting beat up. And then we ended up moving back to Texas. Um, in, round, in Round Rock? Yes, sorry, we went to Round Rock. I don't know anybody there either. And then freshman year of high school starts. Signed up for PE. And then I think at Meet the Teacher Night, my parents were there and we're at PE class, you know, and they're, so they're meeting Coach Vaughn. And all of a sudden he's telling me, he's like, hey, get down in a three-point stance and they do this and do that. And he's like, son, you need to play football. You're a big kid. Um, You're just in a classroom right here or something? We're in the basketball gym. Okay. He's like, you need to play football. He's like, do you want to go to Round Rock High School for the next four years and just walk the halls or do you want to be a part of something? And that hit home with me because I had nobody. I had no friends. I knew nothing about Round Rock or Round Rock Dragons or the high school or the city. I just knew my room and my house. <laughs> and uh, I had a guitar, I think, you know, and that was my life and music. I really liked music. So, uh, so that was it. So spring of freshman year, I, I changed over to football period. So you go through spring football drills. And then sophomore year, I started playing, you know, sophomore season. I was on the sophomore team. And uh, so that means you're pretty much terrible. You're on the sophomore team because they have a freshman team, A, B, C, who knows how many. Then you have a sophomore team. Then you have a JV team, the kids that are pretty good. And then you have your varsity, obviously, the highest level. So sophomore year, I mean, I was just learning the game. I didn't know anything. And I figured it out. And then so spring of sophomore year, I got to practice with the big guys. And then uh, junior year and senior year, I was on the varsity football team. When did you grow? When was that growth? You know, I don't really remember ever having a growth spurt. Hmm. And I wasn't exceptionally strong either, you know. But uh, What were you playing? I was an offensive lineman. Why don't you explain to people out there, what a, what's your job? Well, as an offensive lineman, your job is to protect the quarterback and make a way for the running back, right? So, you know, you're just the guy. There's five of them, and you just are there to protect the little guys that are trying to score the touchdowns. Hmm. You don't touch the ball. You just hit people, be hit, <laughs> get in the way. That's funny you say you don't touch the ball because I was talking to your son. We were just having dinner at, at this restaurant. I was like, uh, Lane... Tell me about your dad playing football, or whatever. I said he was, 
He's like a wide receiver or something, wasn't he? He goes, oh my gosh, no. He, he had this total look of disdain. He goes, my dad has never touched a football in his life. <laughs> it doesn't get much less glorious than offensive line, does it? No, probably not. Because defensive line, at least you can just hit someone. I mean, you can just lay someone out or you can disrupt a play. You can block a pass. You can do all sorts of stuff. So do you think there's any relationship at all between your personality and being an offensive lineman? Yeah, I mean, they, they do complement each other in that I'm not uh, flashy, I guess, or looking for exposure or the spotlight. And maybe that's as a stereotype for an offensive lineman. Yeah, they're just the quiet, big oaf over there. <laughs> and there's been a few throughout history in the NFL maybe that are that have a personality, you know, that are able to move on and be broadcasters. And mm -hmm. for the majority, you're happy with your role in anonymity. You prefer it maybe even. Sure, definitely. When did you start varsity? When did you get into the varsity game in high school? So junior year, I was on the varsity, but I never really set myself apart. Even then, I split time with another guy. I was playing guard and uh, Joe Cuellar. Is a good friend, and like I, I was good, and like maybe physically looking at me, you'd be like, "Oh, that guy looks like a more athletic person," and Joe maybe didn't, I guess, as a stereotype, but he was just as good as I was. Um, Did you start some? He starts some. Yeah, they would. I think they would just rotate it. He would start a game. I would start a game. A tackles an offensive line role, right? Uh huh. I don't get it. You don't tackle anybody. Yeah, who knows? And, and I, I yeah. don't, and for the life of me, I've always been embarrassed to ask that. But yeah. what's the difference between a, another center, or do you call them nose guard, or the same thing? Just a center on offense. Okay. Yeah. Nose guard would be a, the defensive The defensive side. Across okay. Field. Then you've got, on either side of the center, you've got the guards. The guards. And then on the side of them, the, the tackles. tackles. Yeah. I don't know why they're called tackles. So, <laughs> I get the guard part. What's the biggest difference between a guard and a tackle? Um, a tackle has to be more independent and is that they're on the edge. And if people are rushing the edge, you know, you're more vulnerable. Whereas a guard, you've got protection on either side, say the center and the other tackle. And if you're blocking somebody, it's going to be harder for them. Even if they do get past you, they're probably just going to run into some, you know, interference from the other guy next to them. But with a tackle, you've got help on the inside but on the outside I mean it's usually you all alone and you've got to be good enough to make sure they don't get around you and you're making independent decisions well you're doing what you've been coached to do I guess but you have to but, make a decision based on what's happening in front of you and if you make the wrong decision you're gonna your mistakes are more glaring than yeah. someone on the interior of the line the, the quarterback's gonna get hurt quicker from a tackle mistake yeah and to like mistake. to put it monetarily like in the NFL a left tackle is the most expensive lineman usually because he's the most important because you're typically protecting a right-handed quarterback's blind and that's their side, blind right? side. And mm -hmm. where they're going to get killed type thing. Wow. <laughs> Whereas your center is probably your smartest guy because he's the quarterback of the offensive line and he's recognizing everything and telling everybody what to do. Your tackles, maybe you're more athletic and, you know, your marquee guy. So when that center, and I notice they go down, they put one hand on the ball. Yeah. And then it seems like the other hand they're pointing. Right. And are they coaching you guys? They're saying, 
watch they're lining up this way they're lining up, watch this guy watch that guy. Well, what are they what are they yelling down there to you uh, they're just so I, they're just recognizing the defense and okay. they're saying you know because everything you do on offense is usually predicated on what the defense shows you and a lot of that is based on the middle linebacker you know and if you see the middle linebacker and he's on they just recognize him and say call out his number there he is and then you just know your your protection or your blocking scheme is mm-hmm. based off of where that guy's at sometimes. You know, they're okay. just telling them. And, and it can be very simple in that they never say a thing. Like in high school, they never said a thing. And then in college and NFL, it gets more and more complicated mm-hmm. where they're telling you exactly what to do. So so when did you when did they decide you were the guy on at the Round Rock Dragons? Like you were going to be that your senior year when did it just start becoming like James is a baller like it's gonna happen it's, it's, this is real um I don't know I mean so so I played my junior year uh, and I lettered and that was great and I got a little recognition I made all district of some time some sort uh like you know I think honorable mention they tried to play me on defense to see if I could help out there, but I wasn't athletic enough to be a defensive end. I'd look terrible. You mean it's not quick move. enough? Or? I wasn't quick enough. I didn't have the instincts to, mm. to react and to be that fast. I didn't have good hands um, to, you know, to manipulate people and move them out of the way or whatever mm-hmm. like that. So I want to go back to something. For the whole first part of this conversation, it was a lot about being alone, not many friends, not feeling good about your body, yourself, moving around, being around people you didn't understand, different cultures. A coach said something kind of inspiring to you. You get involved, you start playing. It sounded like you were feeling good about yourself, right? Yeah. Something about that junior year and playing football Sure. shifted. Would you say that was one of the biggest shifts you remember in your life from feeling less connected or like you didn't fit in to you felt good about yourself? Yes. I mean, as soon as I started playing football, you're instantly thrown into a group of, of, of that became my friendship group, you know, as far as I connected with the people on the team. Uh, you know, maybe not everybody because you have 100 people or more playing football, right? But you find that group that you connect with. And it's not like being in a class where you just have your classmates and you go from class to class and everybody switches and changes is different. You know, in football, it was always the same. And you work out together, you play together, you form a more connected bond that way because you're with each other so much and you're in pain with each Mm. other maybe so much. So, yeah, instantly I was happy with my decision to play football because I started to have friends. You know, I had people to talk to. I felt like I had a purpose as far as, you know, I'm not just that, like I said, guy walking the halls around Mm -hmm. high school to get a diploma. You know, I'm actually part of something. Girls pay attention to you? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what we all think. We look at the football players. Their lockers are all decorated. They're wearing their jerseys on game day, the pep rallies, you know, and you think, wow, every one of those guys has a girlfriend probably or multiple interest you know all the good looking ones did of course <laughs> if you're a skinny guy that played quarterback or running back or whatever then yes you've got to you know or you just have a personality i had no personality i had no game i was shy <laughs> i was definitely afraid of women so even if there was one that may have been interested i ignored her or mm-hmm. had no clue <laughs> 
football was easy compared to that, maybe. Yes, <clears throat> very. Any regrets during the high school years when you were in football? Any regrets? No, my only regrets in high school, I mean, nothing football-wise. Probably at the time, I felt like I was doing as much as I could to be better, to be the best I could be. Um, School-wise, I remember uh, I had a big paper in one class, and I plagiarized a good portion of it because I found a book at the UT library that was like exactly what I was writing about. So I probably leaned on that a little too heavy and I got a great grade and my teacher was like, this is the best paper you've ever written. And I was like, well, of course, you know, I'm awesome. So I regret that to this day. You know, the first time I drank at a party in high school, I got in my car and drove home. I think about that like every day, it seems like. Mm. like how dumb was that? How stupid? Just because you were so excited to go drink a beer. Yeah. The after game parties for football players had to be cool. Beer and girls and you know we weren't gonna be able to get near that but was it like that i mean not for me in high school no i mean after the game we always went to hardy's i think <laughs> in uh, round rock and i you know i was not very comfortable with the cool kids even on the football team i would go because i wanted to be social i wanted to hang out but i just sat there and maybe they went off somewhere else after that, but we had to be back in the morning to work out again and watch film at 7 a.m. So maybe Saturday night, all that happened. I mean, maybe my senior year, we would have some parties, but it was never, I mean, for me at least, out of hand drinking mm -hmm. or going crazy or anything like that, no. I mean, there were more people at those parties that didn't play football than did, probably. I, yeah. 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 You're never brave to crash a football party. What did it feel like when you put on that gear? It's a, it's a real warrior type thing to me when I watch in high school football. You just see these kids that are just little kids running around, and then they're in that gear, and they put them on, and then they become these kind of warriors. Did that happen to you when you put on the armor, so to speak? Did you feel invincible? Did it change your mood or your belief in yourself when you were, like, ready and getting ready to go out that tunnel? It had an effect on me, at least, yes, because you want to uh, you want to look good, at least that game night. So you're always primping in front of the mirror to make sure everything's straight and perfect and whatever. And you're tucking in your shirt so your belly's not hanging out for me. Or you got your cool gloves. It was all about having a cool pair of gloves. That's all I cared about. Or my shoes, yeah. having a cool pair of shoes. Um, and your helmet had stickers all over it. You had to have them all perfectly placed and in the right order for me, at least, because I'm a little OCD, you know. And what were the like, stickers? Like, you know, like... Uh, like Ohio State kind of stickers? Exactly, yeah. You get a little hit sticker if you got a good grade for that game or you earned a whatever. You had a block, you had a, hmm. you know, different things got you different stickers. Describe what it's like in a locker room before a big game. It's so different, I mean, because everybody gets pumped up in different ways. Some people are yellers, some people are quiet, right? And you've got everything in between. And in high school, I think the focus was more on being loud and yelling and the screaming and the trying to get pumped up and everybody rah-rah. And then when you get to college, it was more diverse. Like for a home game in college, you'd have 110 guys in the locker room, whereas a home game in high school, you might have 50. What were you thinking right before the game? Were you sitting there in front of your locker or on a bench or what was the way that you got yourself ready? 
I just sat in front of my locker in college and listened to music. In high school, I remember a lot of yelling and uh, pushing and shoving and like trying to pump each other up. In your senior year, letters started coming. What happened there? Did, did you realize like I could play college ball? I could. And did you go on a scholarship or? My high school coach was very proactive in that if he had any kid that had any potential, he would throw their name out there to any college recruiter that was willing to listen to him. So you start getting letters. And at that point, it's all just based on you're a certain height, you're a certain weight, you have measurables, and they're just looking for kids. If you were really good, they had film on you or they already knew of you probably because you went to a camp or something like that. So I started getting letters for recruiting after that junior year. How'd that kind of unroll? They were typically letters from a coach or from a girl that was part of their, you know, whatever they welcoming called it, the, la the Lady Cougars Welcoming Committee type thing or whatever. And you'd get these letters full of glitter or, you know, spelling good or, and then, you know, written just like, I can't wait till you come to campus and see it or things like that. So they were good at wooing you. How'd that thing. make you feel? It makes you feel wanted, I guess, more than anything. How many of those letters you get? I have boxes of them in my parents' house to this day. They're sitting there. I think I kept every single one of them. There's boxes of them. And so, I was not a five-star recruit. I was not, you know, anything special. And that's the God. I'm not downplaying myself. I was the God's honest truth. I was a good football player in high school. And uh, I made it to college, yes, but I was not, as you would call, a five-star recruit. So I can't even imagine what other kids went through. Because there's no doubt that other kids get offered things, get given things. You know, when they show up, that girl actually does things for them that makes them feel even much more wanted type mm -hmm. of deal. And that was never part of my recruiting That's how process. you know if you're a five-star or not. <laughs> Maybe, yes, I guess. So, uh, so yes. why University of uh, Minnesota? Well, when it came down to it, um, I had two options. I had a, I did receive an appointment, which is basically a scholarship to play football at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And so that's a little more of a process where, where the coach is like, yes, I want you to come play here, but you know, we're a government institution. I'm not the university of the Air Force Academy. So you have to get an actual appointment. So you have to jump through a few hoops and, and, uh, talk to congressmen, Senator get letters, call, yeah. and, you know, somebody's got to recommend you and all that stuff. So that all, we did all that and they did give me an appointment and I had that option. Um, but I also visited the University of Minnesota and they offered me a scholarship and I literally just made the decision based on where I thought I would be more comfortable and have fun, not where I would, uh, you know, probably would have been a and, you know, it would have been smarter maybe to go to the Air Force Academy and get a world-class education with only 2,000 other kids and uh, see the world and who knows what the military life would have been like. But I chose the state school in Minnesota that I'd never heard of before. Mm. <laughs> did you, you didn't visit there in the winter? I did. I went there in uh, the end of December. Wow. In and you still wanted to go? Yeah. It was freezing cold. Was it some intuition what it was just comfort like i feel comfortable here no it was so much more basic than that i just literally had more fun on my visit mm. to minnesota and at air force academy i felt like you see these guys they're wearing their uniforms it's all regimented it's very strict i saw what they did to freshmen 
you know, that freshman year and they told me the stories about how awful it is and how they're going to make you wish you weren't here. And you, you have to walk in a certain path everywhere you go as a freshman. And if you deviate from that path, they will make you pay. You know, there's no walking from A to B in a straight line. It's painful, everything you do. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want that. I wasn't strong enough mentally for that. How had it go at Minnesota, football-wise? There were probably eight offensive linemen in my freshman class. Of those eight, you know, by our senior year, two of them were playing, starting, and the rest of us were still standing there watching. How'd that feel waiting around, suiting up, working hard, busting it all week, the locker room, and you're on the field and you're standing there for the game? That was awful. That was the worst part of college for me was dealing with that, going from being great at Round Rock High School to being just, you know, not that great in college. So, yes, it was Division One in the University of Minnesota. We were in the Big Ten, and uh, the Big Ten is and was a very good conference at that time. The University of Michigan won the national championship my senior year, you know, in Penn State and Wisconsin. And um, other schools were very good while I was there. Ohio State, you know, the classics that are still good today. We lost a few close ones type of thing, but there were a lot of blowouts too. So it sucked. Um, freshman year, you were just, of, of you get redshirted. So you still get four more years to actually play after that freshman year. And you're just practice fodder for the kids that actually play. You're the, called the scout team. You just run the other team's offense so that they can practice against you so they know what they're going to see on Saturday. And then freshman year, your second year, your redshirt freshman year, uh, you're like, okay, this is my chance to break on to this too deep, right? To actually be practicing with the actual team and not being the other team anymore. But I was still there. And that hurt, and uh, I didn't deal well with that. Um. But I pushed through it, I guess you could say. What was the not dealing? Was it anger, resentment, loneliness? Uh, think you might have made a mistake. What was not dealing with it? What's that mean? I'm just, a, I'm a person that wears my emotions on my sleeve, people have told me. At least in the work environment, professionally, that, I, that I've been told that. And then in college, I was told that during these times. Where, like, I'm just, I would just be, like, whatever, moody, maybe. Or just, you could just tell I wasn't happy or I'm angry. I guess it was my second year. So my other, my two best friends, Jeff and Greg, they were also offensive linemen. And they were on the two deep. So they weren't stuck on scout team with me. They would be like, what's going on? Why aren't you trying very hard? So that turned it around for me. Yeah. So my second spring at Minnesota, I was like taking it seriously then. Like I was in the gym, I was making great gains and on practice workouts, I was making great gains. I was getting faster, I was getting stronger. And when spring football came, that was a good opportunity to make a case for yourself for the next fall, right? And I tore my ACL that spring. So then that third fall at Minnesota, when I come back from ACL surgery, you know, it's already a couple weeks into the season. So I'm back on the practice squad again, that third year in a row. <laughs> and I've, you know, I've got an excuse now. My knee set me back, but at the same time, it's like, it's just felt like here I am again. 
So it was hard. All the time at Minnesota was hard because I never um, played much. I never started a game. Uh, yes, I'm proud that I put myself through college on a scholarship. Yeah. And I got there, and I was good enough to earn it. And I was good enough to be on a team with a bunch of guys that were good athletes and football players. But I never, you know, had any recognition other than I made academic all Big Ten. And I got, uh, I made other academic things. Because I took my school seriously. I figured you're not going to play in the NFL. You have no chance at that. You know, you've got to graduate. You've got to take that part seriously. Is there something you would uh, say to some young person that is just after this dream, what would you tell them? It's all about how hard are you going to work? That's literally it. Because if you don't work harder than the next guy, you're not going to beat that other guy or gal, whatever it may be. Because, I mean, when I look back, that's my biggest regret about my college football career is that I didn't put in that extra effort. I did everything they told me to do. You know, I was there for every workout. You know, I was there for every practice. I was there for every mandatory film session, but I never went above and beyond. And the kids that truly excelled and the kids that went on to play in the NFL, it was either they were that good, they were just born with that gift, or they worked that hard to make sure that they had the edge on the next person that was trying to take their spot. My one roommate, he started his junior year and then his senior year, he didn't start because this other kid came in and he was just a freshman. But he was so talented and so good. And just, and even though he was smaller, he was so much faster and more agile and just had a relentless um, effort that he mm -hmm. never quit. He took that guy's spot and he started all four years, played in the NFL for 10 years. You know, it's a truly mental, do you want it? How bad do you want it? thing that haunts me, I had a strength coach, uh, Kevin Yoxall, and he's a legendary strength coach in the college world. And one day he told me, you need to learn how to long snap. Like we're always looking for a long snapper. And it always goes off to some walk-on kid that didn't have a scholarship that just walked on to play football. Or just some guy, when you look at him, they're like, who is that guy? And how is he on the football team with me? But he's our long snapper. And I remember being like, I'm not going to be a long snapper. These guys are losers. You know, who wants to be? A, I don't want to hang out with the kickers. We called the kickers the junkyard. We had 15 kickers on the football team. They were all awful. And they were all walk-ons. But they got no respect and no love, right? But we had a guy. Uh, his name is Derek Rackley. He came to Minnesota as a walk-on quarterback, I think. He became a tight end. And then he became the long snapper. And eventually he got a scholarship. And then eventually he played in the NFL for 10 or more years as a long snapper. As just long snap. And probably didn't have a head injury. I hope he doesn't. You know, and he's a successful businessman right now in Atlanta, Georgia, because he played for the Falcons last, I believe. <laughs> you got to get outside your comfort zone, get outside that little box. And when someone offers you advice like that and someone says, you can do this, you have to do it. You know, mm -hmm. don't just blow them off. Wow. Man, thanks. I feel like I understand football a little better. Yeah. And it is sort of a, it's our whole world kind of runs on it, it seems like. It's good to, it's good to know. Yeah. 
It's good to understand. James, thanks, man. You're welcome. Little Big Voices creates human connection and understanding by listening. If you'd like to join and support the cause, please visit littlebigvoices.com. For as little as $2 a month, you'll help support and celebrate the little and big voices in us and around us. In return, you'll receive cool gifts, exclusive content, live interviews, a peek behind the scenes, and most of all, the opportunity to help shape the program with your ideas and feedback. The opinions, views, and advice expressed by guests of Little Big Voices are exclusively theirs and do not necessarily represent those of the producers. Please see the show notes for more information around today's podcast. And always remember, your voice matters.